Welcome to Creative Dialogues. Creative Dialogues is a Wollongong City Council project that focuses on the arts, upskilling, collaborating, and practical steps for a working creative. My name is Tom Hogan, and this episode's panel discussion is on the state of dance and dance education, both in New South Wales and nationally. Full disclosure here, I'm not a professional dancer, and I know I give off the vibe that I'm confidently in control of my body, but it just tends to get ahead of itself on the dance floor. Oh, uh, before I go on, I should also say that for these Zoom interviews, we send microphones so that the quality of voice is better than just a normal phone call. But for this interview, we couldn't get a fancy microphone to Amrita. But it's worth putting up with the audio quality here because she's a total badass in this discussion, I promise. (laughs) And as for Emma Saunders... Hi, everyone. Can anyone hear me by any chance? Uh, Emma Saunders didn't use it or something. I can't tell. Doesn't matter. Am I meant to be using this? Because everyone else nailed it. Mine doesn't work. Okay, so this one was probably my fault, but I promise the conversation flows very smoothly and this is just a good comic relief to get you sucked into the interview. Anyway, I'm already ahead of myself. Uh, Dance is an interesting state right now. For me as a musician, I can just pick up an instrument and play on the couch, but dance relies on access to a wider physical space than just your living room. Or if you're a choreographer or director, you also need other people in this space. So as a way to introduce each person, I just wanted to know how each artist was adapting to this situation. Uh, So this is Michelle Forte who runs the Austin Mead Dance Theatre. So we don't have our own space. We hire spaces, so they've been shut down. Um, so we we started working. We took all our classes and rehearsals online from the 26th of March and we've been working like that every day since, all of our regular days, and our, we've been doing our regular days, regular hours, and um, it's been challenging but... Um, we're grateful that we can still keep going and doing something. And I have to say I have seen some growth in the dancers also in certain areas. Um, I think the biggest, I mean, it's we've also, we've had shows cancelled. We've had three shows cancelled this year and we're hoping, fingers crossed, we get maybe one show. But, um, yeah, it's it's the big thing will be when we get back into the studio, like we think we're in some sort of reasonable condition, it's going to be a whole other ball game when we're in the big space and um, we're, you know, moving at full, full capacity. So are we going to be allowed in the theatres? And if we're not, then I'm looking at um, doing something on location outdoors. On the Zoom chat, one of the screens had a background of planet Earth from a distance, surrounded by stars, with the floating mouth of director, dancer and performer Emma Saunders. Um, I just feel like my dance practice faded away. Uh, and after having no space, now I'm floating in space. Mm. Um, yeah, it'll be a great know, visual metaphor for the podcast, which is a totally yeah, oral medium. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> well, look, it's just so confusing whether we're alive or whether we're uh, here or not, isn't it? But... I suppose let me get rid of that. Let me, in all seriousness, what I just put a, um, I just put a space in. I just create. I just put a virtu- I just made my own little micro dance studio. I just put the floor down today. So that's how I solved that issue. Okay, that's that's cool. But um, for me, this last pile of works have been big outdoor on mass site 
like site-specific works of joy. Um, but I, I, I do, the source of my work is totally in the theatre um, and totally in a, in a black space, I suppose. So, um, and very nuanced with, like all of us, like you're working with the dancers, you're working on instinct. I'm not really teaching choreography anymore. I don't really work like that so much if I don't have to, you know. So for me, the work that I um I, I, I have two kids too. I had to homeschool them, you know. That's another thing that makes you, as a 45-year-old woman with two kids, you know, I mean, I'm back here again really, isn't it, you know. <laughs> just feel a bit like I'm disappearing, you know, when I'm not. I'm right here. But. <laughs> um, anyway, so, yeah, so it's been, I, I just sort of pulled the pin. I decided it's too hard with kids. And trying to come up with a practice where my practice was is sort of where I was interested right now. So I didn't worry and I'll, I'll probably start up again with other people when the doors are open and I can get back to work. In the meantime, I'll work on my own. I'll think about other things. I'll probably just have a cup of tea and regroup and not feel pressured to come up with too much stuff. That's probably, and you know, it's not the end of the world, I don't think, to take a little moment to maybe mm-hmm. homeschool kids and uh, just reassess a bit where, where we're, where for me, where I'm up to, what I want to do, have a little think about things, do things like this, build a dance studio. I would never have done that, you know. I feel, yeah, there was so much pressure shut down to be like oh, suddenly every creative I knew know was like basically um, – like there was this call to make work like quickly get yeah. to work just whatever work you have get it online in some way or fashion just to like show something and I just found it exhausting like I haven't yeah, done totally. anything in that sort of time it's just been like it's been so huge and overwhelming um and yeah. um and let alone the fact that I've just put on eight kilos just like that um yeah which is so much drinking and eating there's no time there's not enough time and i'm not homeschooling anyone so um, i don't know what you've all been doing then you should have been (laughs) getting stuff out there and rita happy is on the chat too with a zoom green screen background of a beach in hawaii now if i wanted to put a phd artist statement on this i could infer with references of course that dancers may find it hard to be comfortable when their world is online rather than in a physical space So these Zoom backgrounds are a way to impose a sense of place. But because they're dancers, they've thought about this their entire lives and have much more insightful things to say about it than I can in a podcast voiceover. I mean, this is exactly what Amrita's work, A Call to Dance, is about. So here's what she had to say. I feel like this was inevitable that things were online. I think that we were already beginning to start to consider how it is that we're interfacing in different ways within the digital realm. I think I had a real ambivalence to like doing things online. I go into a, I mean, to be frank, I feel like I go into a room to take class or into a performance to witness and be witnessed. So I can't, I, it it doesn't, this online class thing doesn't work for me. Um, And the delay irritates me. So I don't know. And I also, I guess I wanted to like, I was, I was thinking a lot about like a few different projects that I have been doing in this time. Cause I was like, I wanted to discourage giving into the immediate market driven demand to turn any art medium experience, form of a counter exchange or practice into a flat online experience. Although I have been interested to see some of the responses. 
I think we're already really flooded with digital content and shouldn't forget like, yeah, the cycling effects of for-profit information technology. Obviously, I'm really interested in these things and I'm interested in, yeah, like the performativity of, of social media, the performativity and potential for technology. And this is something that I was thinking prior to the pandemic um, because, you know, social media has now become a form of moral theatre. So I'm also happy to wait. Like, yeah. like everybody has like said, like, I don't, I know that it's going to be hard for theatres and for venues. I'm already interested in making things online, but I don't think the theatre is going to go away. And I, I really, I, I really love the theatre and I can't wait to go back into it. So, yeah, um, I think even like yeah. your work, uh, a call to dance. It's it's a very direct, like one-on-one mm. interaction with one person in a very yeah. small, private kind of space. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess, and it sounds sounds like you've 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 got using the opportunity to kind of flourish in the digital medium, or at least the the idea of that show is more about I don't know connection and communication, which it sounds like is your next kind of phase mm. of interest. Yeah, yeah, I think like uh, a call to dance could be some I mean a call to dance was like the the great thing was about the physical location of where we are and knowing where we are and locating our bodies which dance is very good at like knowing the location of our bodies in space in relation to what's around us which the internet discombobulates that and the digital realm doesn't allow us to necessarily always think about where it is that we're located because I think I mean Another aside of the internet, right, is that we like to think about it as if it's the thing that exists in the cloud, when really it also has a physical place. Like it's these big data centers, you know, it, it, it exists and it has a location. I think we've called it out. Um, we'll still be touring that hopefully, yeah, next year and a few other places. But um, I don't have any desire to, to make my works into something else uh, or to make them into a digital experience. But on the flip side of that, when you're part of a company, it's not only yourself you need to look after, with dancers who rely on you for work and a connection to the wider industry. Here's the prolific Sean Parker who, amongst keeping up with online workshops, devising new work and reimagining works for social distancing situations, has a very direct engagement with members of the company and more. And then the final thing that I've, I've, t- I've done in ISO is mentorship. Um, with a couple, several of my dancers where I'll get on twice a week, we're on WhatsApp or Zoom talking through ideas um, because I can't afford them. I can, my company can't give them full-time work all year. So they're essentially freelance, but they do a lot with me. So, um, but there's all that mental health thing that's going on with performers, like not feeling like they belong anywhere. So, you know, through these little commissions and stuff, I've been mentoring them online and talking through ideas and, and I've been helping them with grant writing. I've written about four grants for my dancers, helping them. They send me drafts and then I, you know, um, highlight it and offer them suggestions um, and one-on-one Zoom and phone um, coaching as well. We've also commissioned some of our artists because we realised that some of our artists had fallen through the cracks because of JobKeeper, et cetera. So we've commissioned several of our artists to make 20-second um, um, TikTok dance vignettes which um, so we've got our own TikTok account now just for fun and to employ them and give them something to do because I'm a firm believer you've got to keep the creativity going, you know, in a fun way. So I know there is a feel, there there definitely was an urgency to keep doing stuff, 
but I also felt compelled to keep doing stuff actually. Like I wanted to do stuff because I just thought, oh, my gosh, there's so much still to do. I've got a list a mile long, you know, of things to do and... Uh, forgive the clunky editing here, but we spoke for more than 90 minutes and I really wanted to veer the conversation to dance as a pathway and the role of education specifically. I don't know what the pathway to a career in dance is in New South Wales at the moment. Uh, I watched the dance studios at UNSW get knocked down as the whole program was removed. So I'm interested in the growing role of groups and companies such as Austin Mears Dance Theatre. So Michelle, I've never been to the Austin Mears Dance Theatre, but I've been trying to absorb your company's work online. And it seems like your intake of dancers tends to range from people with detailed ballet experience all the way to... Not, not, like, yeah, not all of them. Some are, We've had dancers that may have had almost zero ballet and that's why we have a ballet class so that I can get them all looking somewhat similar in some way. But, um, yeah, we're not, we're not exclusive to just ballet people. We're, we're all about passion, hard work and dedication. That overrides technique any day. But, um, yeah, and then we, we try to get, when we can, get guest teachers in and guest choreographers to then give them that. We're giving, we, the whole premise is to give them a professional experience. So they're not treated as students, they're treated as professionals and that some, some dancers just don't know, they have no idea. <clears throat> they come out of training and they don't know what it's like and it's not their fault. They don't know what it's like in the professional world, so that's what we want to create. And so that they're, I say to them at the very beginning of the year, I'm not going to treat you like kids. If you do something wrong, I'm not going to yell at you, but you might miss out on an opportunity. Or, But I, I also guide them through all of that. So it's um it's about creating that professional space but yeah they're not def- definitely not all ballet type people but um <laughs> i do love classical dancers i was classically hey. trained I, so I, yeah. I, I love a classical contemporary dancer that's my ultimate but if they don't <laughs> if they don't have the work ethic to go with it then forget it mm. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was going to say, I think that the ADT model, the Ostomy Dance Theatre model, um, I mean, it's great for New South Wales because the guys can work. Like everyone, it's a bit, it, it's sort of, I'm not sure if the days are over of a full-time dance degree. I mean, I did Uni Western Sydney when it existed and I loved that. The dance degree was really good there. And there is a couple still in New South Wales, like there's AMPA and the ACPE and stuff, but they're not really that. And NASA, sorry. Nine to five, five days a week. I was just going to add, yeah, I totally agree. And I think, but I think the sort of in New South Wales are definitely around Sydney and everyone, they need to work. So a kind of part-time model isn't too bad. When rent is so expensive, it's quite a good way to go, this sort of ADT kind of bit more part-time but pretty serious. And, and it feels like that could be a little bit more the way of the future for um, certainly the dancers I had, you know, they they could have all done with a dance degree, but they sort of have to work, you know, and I was like, I don't know where you fit it in really. Uh, you don't have parents to move in with or you're ready to move out. So, you know, I was just going to say I think structurally that that's not a bad way to go, the, uh, yeah. the part-time. So everyone can have Agreed. a life too. Yeah, you need to be able to like be a responsible adult. Like yeah. studying at ASDED and studying at Albany, you're like, 
you are run ragged and then I would work in a bar until yeah. midnight and then be in class like oh, that's hectic. like yeah you know I mean it was fun and it was like I was it gave me a capability that I never thought was and we had some great times and like my god I was so grateful for the people that I studied with that mm. we could share that I lived with that I studied with that we could share things and we knew we learned how to share and look out for one another because that's yeah. like how it should be in a company and I think it teaches you like you know without sounding corny it teaches you really good leadership skills and good like help like you help the other dancers around you and yeah I mean I have a, a, a real soft spot for that time even though sometimes I was like how do I catch the subway I have two dollars <laughs> yeah absolutely it's very hard to say because there's 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 no exact formula for dancers but I know from where I'm from where I'm yeah. positioned, I really only have one dancer who didn't do a three-year degree, and that and I've been uh, Libby, and I've been training him since he was sixteen, and he's now twenty-six. So he can do my youth program, wow. but not every dancer is like him. He's got a particular mm. discipline and ability to keep learning that not many dancers have. So apart from that, mm. I went through VCA, and I think that in terms of providing me with to really getting me ready for the industry I found it vital actually where I'm it changes you it changes you it teaches you learn so much and it can be very hard I was working at Dangerfield selling clothes on the weekend mm -hmm. I even danced in a cabaret show on the Saturday night <laughs> want to earn money nice. so yeah. and it is really tough I remember being tired saying this is too much but it does build an excellent resilience for when you get into the real world and and just gives you all those skills mm. over three years that you can play with 10 hours a day you're in there at VCA and then you've even got rehearsals afterwards it teaches a, a bit of resilience about what the real industry is going to be mm. like and what plans are mm. and I know myself when I'm auditioning I just did auditions recently um I've and because the funding is so tight, usually when I make a new work, let's say I've got four weeks rehearsal to rehearse a new work, a development, and then I might have another two months later on or whatever. I need to know that those dancers are ready to go. I don't have time to teach them. I will improve them. All of no. my dancers, I know when they come to me, they go walking out transformed. And I, I know that's a love of mine. I, I can see the power in people and I want to make that shine. It's something that I'm naturally good at I like making them shine I know where people come and they say I've never seen I've it's never seen shine now Sean. Like that. no, it's just sweat <laughs> I've, never seen them. I've never seen people will come and say I've never seen you dance like that because I know that's what I can do however if I'm making a work um you know like I'm I'm 50 in a couple of weeks after 30 years of my experience nice yeah baby 50 is the new 30 Absolutely. 30's the new 10. Yeah. like I do give off a 10-year-old vibe. Thank you for mentioning that. <laughs> yes, thank you very much. <laughs> um, I, love, I love my dances and I want to make the dancers shine and make them learn, but at the same time when I've got to work on, it is quite demanding my process. And if dancers come in, if they haven't gone through a similar process before, they can struggle with it and they sometimes don't make it through. Mm. But most of the time they do. I'm usually I'm mm. getting better at auditioning and knowing to see, like who's got the discipline. Who's got the discipline to to learn because it's quite vital and as well. So mm. 
I think the question of like what is the real industry like look like like I think that is a good question though too because like what what it is for each of us is um, and as you say from where we are and to where the kids will be in 20 years time or where the grown-ups are sitting right now you I mean you know we've got a nice range here but like what is the industry and I and and what like I, I do struggle sometimes to sort of quantify what what that is because it can mean for me a quite a big break and then you're on or then no, nothing or then or or like where where do what do you keep a hold of and what can you drop and how can you manage without a great deal of funding or then you get a lot of funding like it, it does seem I still uh, I start to question more and more what is the dance industry and having students too you know I, I just I just don't know what they're gonna yeah. do when they get out of uni but they need to keep making work like I think it's a good thing to start to uh, look a deep, bit deeper into what what is it what is it that we're learning to do and what what is it that we need them to know and I, I suppose having to get back to basics a bit it feels because not all the dancers have their uni degree or have had the opportunity to to, to flourish you know I'm just going to put a reminder here that this conversation took place before the announced hike in university fees for the arts and humanities. So even with New South Wales's already limited pathways into professional dance, this university-led path of three years of discipline that we're talking about is going to become financially out of reach for so many future practitioners anyway. To, to answer your question, what is the industry and what do we want the industry to be is a, is a contentious thing because you know, the industry exists, the industry is not siloed into one thing because we're talking about an industry where the, you know, the independent sector is one thing, the education sector is one thing. There's so many different facets in it that we're all interweaved and involved in. Like as a dancer, I'm employed by different companies, obviously trying to make my own work. And then you're like, you're also too at the request of Australia Council. I mean, there's so many moving parts, especially in terms of like where it is that the work ends up within this country. So like dance massive, like mm-hmm. what, and then it's like, and what else, you know, and the, I guess there's like the MFI network and then what does touring look like? Like I've recently just joined Melbourne Festival's artistic advisory thing. And like, I, I never thought I would be in like hardcore advocacy or, or at all thinking about like these things. This is not what dance school prepared me for, but it is like, I love going into the industry by which you end up having to like see, you look at the mechanics by which funding works, you know, which I never thought that I would ever, ever. And I'm not, I don't think that that necessarily should be in our education system, but it is, there has to be a transparency about it because a lot of the time, like I sat on one of those multi four year funding panels and it was awful. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you feel like who, how, like, how can we comprehensively make this decision in a fair way? Like, how do we assign like the the value to that? And and mm. that's like that's like the really hard thing where I know that I know and I know that Australia Council's trying hard, and I know that like you know we're all like riding in these grants and looking for other models of I mean other models of economic viability that can exist. Um, I mean, the beautiful thing is it exists when we're able to show up in real time. Mm. And that's what I love about this, this, this industry. It exists when we're able to commune and to congregate and to be together, um, which is hard, again, the digital sphere, but mm. available. I don't know. It's, it's, 
it's like, and from an independent uh, in, uh, industry angle, it's like you're having to wear so many hats and like so many, which I, I, feel, which I think I feel is good. very sorry for the young dancers like yourself, Amrita, because <laughs> I think you guys do such a good job. And I do think the millennials are the perfect people to do it though, because they're very savvy and seeking opportunities. But I must admit it must be hard to survive because I was lucky enough when I went through, I I was lucky enough to go straight from VCA into Merrill Tankard for a decade, full time. Mm. So I was looked after, I was nurtured by system, by Merrill, by ADT. You know, Mm. Merrill was one of the the, the amazing master teachers of Mm. our time. So, and, 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 but I went freelance after that for, 10 years mm. I got to learn what it was like afterwards but by that stage I'd already had 10 years of training do you know what I mean and I had a bit of money behind me because I'd saved some money and then I crossed over to commercial I did a few feature films and TV commercials so I, I dabbled with a bit of the, the popular arts you know to pay the rent yeah yeah same same yeah. I mean like you're always like renegotiating the commercial aspect of your practice especially with social media becoming a way to make money Yes. Uh, for a lot of independent artists like myself, like other millennials. Oh, yeah. Um, and then, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, in, in saying that, like, I do feel, I do feel very, like, like with, with things like the Care Foundation um, and opportunities such as that, and I, I do feel really, like, looked after by the industry in a lot of ways and with working with people like Rachel Swain and Zalia Pigram and you know Force Majeure and, and and really having like a lot of company work company support like I yeah it's, it's been I feel like I feel very lucky to be in the position that I am in and it's definitely from the other independent artists and small to medium companies that I I think I'm able to you know do it with and I don't think that there is any one way to become a dancer uh, whether you're a company dancer or whether you're independent the whole way through you know I you just end up having like a varied amount of like mentors and people and I have really been feeling for for some of the students that are like in their first year of dance or maybe in their last year of dance and they're like in that kind of like thinking of going like is what happened yeah I started mentoring like a couple of couple of VCA students and they're like what do I what am I doing what am I gonna do and I'm like I well let's keep talking oh it sounds like they're already mid-career that's great they're ready for it (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean I think as an independent there's so much more you have to do it's not looked you're not looked after and so there's good skills that's great you know and I think there's not that many companies to go around and we don't all want to be in all the companies. We want to make our own work. Or if there was a company, if DV8 was here, I would probably be in them, you know. Um, I, I think if the, the quality of the companies weren't at my what I was into at the time, I, I don't know, you know, they're all great, but it wasn't quite, you know, you have your own voice. So I didn't mean to say that as a bleak thing. I, I just No, think, not at all. It, it's, it's, a, it's a relevant question. Well, I think the industry needs, yeah, we, we, it is changing. And as you say, the interface and where choreography sits, where, where is it? How little can we do that's still choreographed, which is down getting down to online, you know, we pass a thing over to the next screen or, like, I think that's really interesting and that is dance as well. So for me, I, I think... Um, it's more just a question, I think, feeling like starting to get feel a little bit responsible for some of the uh, having to 
you know, a conversation on the state of dance right now is quite a provocative conversation. And Yeah, I I was just thinking that even from what you were saying, there there seems to be uh, the the idea of like reshaping the industry is such a huge question. Whenever I think of uh, the dance industry as a whole or like you hear the discussions of it, they are geared towards these kind of... um, uh, the university degree assist, like a specific system of like that's how you become a dancer um, and maybe the reliance like it, the, we need to like really shine the reliance on programs uh, in companies like Austin Mid Dance Company like Dance Theatre for instance that literally does provide a path into that yeah how they can like uh, how the industry can change from that I guess it's grassroots is that just the system is it like highlighting the, the dancers first than the theatres well uh, my gut feeling is if we're talking about New South Wales dance, I, I believe that some high-level advocacy and political will will help us high up in terms of the Ministry for the Arts because everything comes down from there and there needs to be a little bit more political will in terms, you know, very high up in terms of making the dance in New South Wales, which is awesome with these amazing dancers, to give them the opportunities that Arts Victoria gives to their community mm. in Melbourne because Melbourne does have a strong dance scene and okay. with Sydney being a and Wollongong is a very large city as well and Newcastle mm. have got some big cities very close together you know um well Sydney itself is almost six million now why don't we have a conservatory of dance like VCA like we've got the con for music we've got NIDA for acting it's money we need it's they have they have the money they just, yeah. it's just been. It's almost like you're saying there's not enough investment in the arts, but that can't be what you're saying. That's absurd. <laughs> yes, I know. It's funny. But the money that would come from setting up a university course, for example, in Wollongong, or maybe, you know, it could even be at Wollongong University. I know they have good drama. Well, I've been teaching there for the last 10 years and I don't think it's going to happen, actually. I had so many great ideas for that, actually, Sean, because I've been teaching movement there for, for years, actually. And in the, getting, the contemporary performance course is rocking, you know. It's got all of us movement practitioners teaching. There's Linda Luke, Vicky Van Hoot, Malcolm, me. Like it's yeah. all great, Matt Press, great practitioners, but it's kind of reducing and it's getting very problematic, unfortunately, and let's put that on the record. I, I think that it's really disappointing, but certainly Michelle and I have been talking a bit too, and I, I think for sure there's room to run, we need a new dance degree and I, I did approach uni about that a million years ago and it just seems because we need space yeah. and that yeah. costs money. We can't fit 150 it people. Needs, in it would need to come from the Premier of New South Wales just in the same way as when Chunky Move started up 20 years ago. The Premier, John Kennett, said we need a contemporary dance yeah, company. Yeah, seven million. Let's start this new one here at Malthouse. Yeah, I mean, there was the, the soft power the soft power diplomacy around these things and how a state wants to view itself has a lot to do with the ingrained oh. culture around it. If we're looking yeah. at where Wollongong and working class places like Newcastle, which I'm actually I'm in Newcastle at the moment, Oh, uh, and they're kind of right? like yeah. it's, it's beautiful, like the working class uh, demographic of, of, of and the history of the place. You can totally understand the from the geography and from the social cultural context why the universities. Which, by the way, we can't forget the universities are for profit like organizations. Absolutely, they're very much so. They don't. They're not. They're not like cultural organizations. They're they're businesses, and uh, even if they are churning out artists. And so it's like 
there has to be the interest for the profit of 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 those of those things, and it's like hard to kind of combine uh, working history and geography of a place, a good and rigorous uh, contemporary and experimental performance or arts uh, dance degree program, yeah, like classical training, and then to be able to like forge partnerships whereby. Like, I mean, I think the greatest thing I ever did was to, and even though I didn't really want to go, was like to go overseas and study overseas for a year because I was like, and dance is what in the what now, you know? Like, I don't know, it's, it's hard. Maybe with all this online since COVID and all the in- integration and, you know, I realised, Amory, that like I was like, I, I can go do a class. Like I, I feel like I can't get to a class. <laughs> I could do a class except then little children ran around me. But I did <laughs> we've learnt something from this experience and even as you say Sean oh you know you've had 400 people at Lucy Guerin I I think we've got to think differently and I think I'm really trying as an artist to talk a little more of the value of dance actually and what people get out of it and it's just got to go straight back to basics so you know it's keeping everyone happy like all of these basic things seems to be what the rhetoric has to be, even though all I actually want to talk about is how sophisticated that section you did in that moment, Sean, in the work and why did you do that? Or, like, I would prefer the dialogue to be about the art a lot more. but Rather it, than the value, the market oh value God. of it, which doesn't... Which, I just which want to is, talk about choreographic yeah. practice. I just want to talk about the dancing or how you might yeah. have integrated this kind of idea and why you did that and what's that got to do with what you're doing and what's that got to do with the sound or the dancer or your intent, like all of these choreographic discussions of sort of, I miss I miss them because we're, we're, but we have to, I think, find a way to really sell the power of dance in the very first place. And that's why I did that massive flash mob at Austin Mead because I was surrounded by yeah. people, everyday people who don't have time for the arts because they are busy saving people's lives as doctors and nurses and I thought, God, I've got to do something. I've got to, ch- I've got to start to show people how important this is, even at the bottom level. We're at a quite sophisticated level where we're all working. It's all gone into where it should be. But I felt mm. like, God, I've got to bring this back and just show every day, the everyday person, how important it is. And, and I tell you, I, I got so much back from that as an artist. I really shifted my practice, actually, where now I try and always work with people who are basically non-dancers as well as highly professional. I love that, but I want that range. And it feels like the more we can have that range, the more people might turn their heads because they finally see that it's not just for elite. I'm trying to get... I'd say like my most profound experiences as a viewer of dance have been with the mixture of trained versus non-trained or mm. collaborating with uh, like disadvantaged or um, I don't know, just people who aren't like education based essentially. And it's like, they, they are or like community dance. Like they are yeah. always formidable yeah. works. Or I suppose. For me, contemporary is that realness and that mm. rawness. And it's not always, as I said, I love technique, but if you don't have the commitment and the, the passion behind it, it means nothing to me, but, and something that's come up for me a lot over this time too with what you were saying, Emma, about getting it out there to the people, like are we are we doing enough? Yeah. Are, we, are we speaking out enough? Like we, we've all seen what the rugby, rugby league, like every five minutes on the TV about it was like Australia's going to curl up and die if the foot footy doesn't go back. Unbelievable. And the way they... Yeah. they 
pumped it and they pushed it and I spoke to my dancers about it and they're just like, I'm so sick of it. They just think that the world's going to stop if... But it's capitalism. I know. Uh, 100% it's cap, yeah. And it's money, as, you know, because they make money and, and then they were saying that we're going to have no money if we don't go back we're going to go bankrupt like and they've got all those leagues clubs and everything attached mm. to them and meanwhile all the artists are just like sitting back going and part of me is you know we're prob we're not like that a lot of us we're not we're not in your face like that to come out and yeah. have a whinge and and well just uh, promote like come on. I know like yeah like we're I don't know are we we're also very time poor. Everyone's running around trying yeah. to and just survive. That we don't have time for high level advocacy, and that's where yeah. hopefully we can lean on our Oz Dance peak bodies, Oz Dance New South Wales, Oz Dance ACT, Oz Dance Victoria. Contact them and really um, provoke them. And they're, they're very they want to. They're on our side, so mm. that's where we need. And they've just released recently. You know, um, they've been working mm. stuff to advocate for us. Um, and then, of course, um, it's it's political, getting the political willpower behind us because it all folds down from there, um, mm. especially in New South Wales. Everything comes from the top. The problems that all the freelancers and independent artists are coming mostly have to do with opportunity and finances and funding and, um, and it sort of comes from the top all the way down. So if we sort mm. out the, some of the issues at the top, it's going to help everybody all the way down. And the articulation of like, and it's also like, not that art always has to have like this necessarily like the usefulness or whatever, like a, to be in service or to be utilitarian, but also to the articulation of those ideas. I think for independent practitioners, like, like sometimes I'm reading grants and I'm like, I know that you're a really good artist and I know that this is important, but just say what it is. Yes, say that's what it. it is. And like, uh, or, or I'm always like, let me help you. Let me help you do it. Or let me like, let, let me give you feedback or, and I also then on this like advocacy level, it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's when we're, and it's, it's hard because you are, you're, you're synthesizing the data to, to say, this is the value of art. This is the economic value of art. Mm. But actually in the system, that's uh, irrelevant because it's not necessarily about, it then becomes not even about the value. It's like, what will rise? What will rise? And I think, yeah, it is like you were saying, Emma, like getting out and doing these things and being able to have these conversations about dance with, with, with in all different spaces, like, yeah, that's why I made a call to dance because I was like, "How can you have an intimate conversation?" And I cannot like talk to like I yeah, can talk to 120 yeah. people over two and a half weeks one on one and really give them my time, my body, my person to make something together, have an action together, have a mm. or just have a chat. <laughs> yeah, just have a chat exactly. Mm. I've been speaking to over this time to several of my international friends and they've all they've all financially they've all been fine their, their government has provided for them and n not one of them was concerned about not being able to pay their rent mm. because the government I mean they lost gigs and they're not getting as much money as they normally would but they 
they're just like, yeah, we can't go to the studio. We've lost work, but our government's looking after us. Mm. Where were these people? (laughs) I know one, well, I know two in Germany, Holland, two in Amsterdam, um, and one in Switzerland in Basel. And um, that is part of the public service, the public service. Uh, yeah. in t- under the under the theatre, it's amazing. Yeah, mm. and yeah, the the arts minister in um, Holland just came out and said, "We need to look after our artists now, or else they won't be here when when this is all over." Like we, our artists do so much for us; they enrich our lives that we need to look after them through this tough period. Otherwise, they won't be here. And I'm just like, wow, what planet is that on? Because it's just. It's just not, I don't understand why this country is so far behind. And when we have international artists come here, they can't believe it when I tell them. They just, they cannot believe it. The challenge is that we actually are very, the challenge is that we actually, Australia is a very rich country, you know, comparatively. So whereas the amount dedicated to the arts is, is actually not that much, you know, in comparison to how rich we are as a country. And there's just not the love there, the will, political willpower. And that's what we're all fighting the good fight for is to to try to keep um, making the powers that be realise that art and culture is exactly what humanity needs. And COVID-19 has proved that. And that's what people have been yearning for when they're in isolation. They either want nature or exercise or they want... A, a spiritual or cultural experience, and that's what we provide as the artists. And unfortunately, there is some with some political powers that be. There is a disconnect or undervalue of what what mm. the art gives to humanity. What is the point being alive unless we connect with who we are as a spirit and as a as a humanity? And that's what artists provide. And that's that's our big challenge here in Australia. It's a hard one too because when you're like, okay, well, if politics are posterior to culture, which they are, and okay, so we look at we look at we we look at different essential workers or social workers or factory workers with the ability to strike, and it's only you know a strike is only as impactful as the cost it inflicts through the labor that it denies. However, because of the practice that we have had within art with uh, bad uh, business uh, financial practices, it can't be withheld. So we, like, continue to, to make. You know, I don't want to say that, like, art is like a barnacle on, on late-stage capitalism or whatever, but um, it's like how, do we, like how do we bolster ourselves? How do we economically, with time, bolster ourselves in an independent way as much as, like, rely on our government? Because I'm like inherently distrustful, and I'm like it needs. I w- what I would like to see is economic. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess you know we have like a like this uh, like the guy from Australia Ballet who wrote like the philanthropy handbook on like how to how to how to make things economically viable. But I would like to see small to mediums in other countries. I just have fifteen thousand dollars for my classes now, and I'm loaded. It's fine. Just up your feet at a car park. Yes, yeah, similarly, you'd be surprised at the size of the invoice that I'm going to send you just to be part of this conversation. <laughs> For this alone, I'm getting paid 15000 I don't know about you guys. <laughs> yeah. 
And I sort of what um, Amrita was Sorry, politics, <laughs> politics being sort of well, posterior posterior to arts. Um, sport politicians seem unfortunately to have a they see sports as not being posterior to politics. They they know that it is, but they have the willpower to promote it more. This is what we need to do to help shift things higher up so they consider arts just as important as sports is. Capitalism, capitalism, capitalism. If we look at the Chicago Bulls, they could, they like, they had a brand, they had a sponsorship, they had like Michael Jordan changed the culture for basketball. Who's going to change the culture for dance? Who's going to be our Barishnikov that's going to catapult us? Mm, Well, I've been doing it for a while and I don't understand why. Me too, yeah, and I've been trying, but it just hasn't made the impact. <laughs> yeah. That's an important one, what you're saying there, Marita, because we don't want to be a brand, though. I mean, for no, me, we're anti that. This, so we yeah, only just want to make But that's not what we're saying. We're being in terms of, in a business model to be clever to get what we want. Yes. To get what you want long term, you've got to know how to get there. And that's I, speaking yeah. their language because what I see in Australia a lot, I'm all about um, discussion, but when artists are just talking at each other all the time, mm. great, we've got to have these discussions, but then what? what? What is, where is that message going so mm. that we get what we want? Otherwise we're all just talking at each other and I'm 50 now. I've, I've had discussions like this today for mm. 30 years. I've had this discussion that we're having now 30 years ago, I swear to you, and I've mm. had it probably hundreds of times. So yeah. I'm not saying that it's not changing and I'm not talking no. about branding and all that stuff. That's just in terms of getting what you want politically, those politicians, they don't think um, not to put everyone in the same box, but quite often they're busy what they're doing as well. They don't think in the way that we're thinking. So we have to be able to take these discussions and formulate it into something that's going to help us long term. Sean, I I 100% to agree. Hence joining boards, hence joining festival things. If you think that I'm not... Like, uh, or hence, like, taking on partnerships, hence, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I, and I don't want to be a talking head anymore. And I don't want to stick my head in the clouds and say, here's a speculative idea for how we, like, uh, change the future with no outcome. Mm. But the thing that I have been able to absolutely reflect on in this time is politics. And it is, like, the, the potential for capital and to look at where and what, like, like that, that in, like there is no start, like there hasn't been for a long time star status in the same way that sport has star status and like mm. 10,000 people in a stadium. And I'm not saying that we need to change it. Yeah, no, that's not what that I'm saying at all. I think you're yeah. just misinterpreting what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that using to, to get the message through, um, mm. use um, elements such as mental health, like to say that mental health and well-being the arts makes people feel really good. So politicians are going to um, actually respond more when they mm-hmm. see the real benefits of the arts on society. That's the way to get their attention, one of the ways, mm-hmm. one of the many ways. Mm-hmm. When I was... About making things commercial, that's the whole different kettle of fish. What I'm talking totally. about is how do you craft ideas so that you get their attention. So what I'm talking about is strategies to convince and get the tell our story really well and be able to tell it to the public. I agree, but I... will fund I'm, up, you know what I mean? Yeah, but I'm, I don't want to attack.
attach myself to mental health in order to like talk about the importance of what I'm talking about is big picture arts and politics. It's a totally different thing. No, totally. I, I, I agree with you and I want to do it from, from, a, from a perspective that is, that is that's going to generate something, but I don't want to, maybe I'm in like an unpopular situation, but I mean, being a part of Marageku, that going back into land rights, like I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to like, I don't want to like necessarily have to like exploit one thing to have the other. And also too, like the mental health, I mean, we know that it's good for our mental health. We know that these things have been proven like time and time again. Um, in terms of big picture policy, I'm like, I'm much more interested in how we can generate economic models of between each other mm. rather than having to rely on our government. Yeah. I mean, I think this is maybe some part of also changing the way we all think. As we do with dancers, we're mm. constantly reassessing ourselves because no mm. one can even remember the last thing we did because no one videoed it or saw it or for whatever reason. <laughs> You know, we have the most re-evaluated art form in the world. There's no doubt about it. But I think that there is somewhere between not commercialism as such, and I was just saying that as a bit provocative, but I think there is something to be said about how do we, how are we perceiving ourselves? How are people mm-hmm. per- perceiving us? Can we hit up that and subvert it and, and make it work for us and the art mm-hmm. form? And I think it's really interesting, the, all these little different ways that are coming out, whether I'm not all that fascinated attaching it to mental health either, either actually. I, I still want the questions to more be about the work, actually, and I, I, I still, but, but it feels like with dance we have to kind of hold everything in one shell, yes. I suppose. And yes. I think yes. um, when I did that flash mob, I was walking past the newsagent you know, I'm going to the doctor and I'm thinking, why aren't I as important as everybody else? And I think it kind of came down to ego. It's like, I want to be as important as the local IGA and as an artist. And I think that that that's a good question. How important do we want to be? Because I'm not sure if everyone wants the same thing, of course. But for me, I was really felt completely irrelevant in my local area. And it was such a delight through something easy, like that was my stage one, if you know what I mean. I get everyone to know and feel it, get the politicians there because the scale is so big and then start to talk about how you can craft a form. You know, you think that was good, my God, that's the worst thing I've done. Come and check out this next thing. And I I think it's holding all these shells and sometimes I just wish I could get on with making work I want to make too. So I agree with you, Emma, and... And one individual artist can't be responsible for everything. Mm. They never can. It's impossible. Um, yeah. But um, that, that's also sometimes you feel pressured to have to be and be everything for everyone and every minority group. All and the time. Yeah. I think it's that's a separate issue um, mm. which we all have to grapple with and work out why we're doing things. I was sort of more speaking, that's an individual issue that we all face as artists. Mm. What I was talking about is how do we as artists Yeah, no, it's good. perceived by politicians to have our, our, st- our sort of our ideas together because they, unfortunately, some politicians are wonderful, don't get me wrong, and some of them feel that they're doing good things for the arts. I've had a few meetings with them and they've said, wow, we've given all this million dollars to the Australian Ballet, sorry, Australian Ballet, I love you, but I'm just talking. <laughs> yeah. 
Australian Opera, Australian Ballet, Sydney Dance Company, um, Queensland Ballet, all the big major companies. Mm. So they were thinking, they were really proud. They were like, oh, we're really supportive. Yeah. Because they didn't understand mm. the, the industry. So from for where they were standing, I thought, wow, they're, they're actually really nice. They really think they're giving lots of money to the arts, but they think because they're giving to the major organisations that yeah. they're covered arts, they forget that there's this whole other mm. small to medium and freelance independent sector out there. Mm. And that's where I thought, wow, if we can you get them. And this is why we need to re- hopefully rely on the Australia Council as well, you know, to fight mm. that fight for us, all of our peak bodies and the state governments to say that it's not just the big companies, it's all the innovators and the freelancers and small to mediums as well. And there's unfortunately what I call it the Grand Canyon. There's a the the the, the majors that get, you know, the you know, 70% mm-hmm. of the money and then 30% goes to the 300 other small companies and independents, which we all I'm preaching to the converted, but yeah, we hear you, we hear you, brother. Like politicians, that's the problem, and they're not very nice people. The tricky thing is it feels like there's only so much to go around. So sometimes if someone gets this, they shouldn't get that. And it's sort of like that in New South Wales. If I know Martin Delamo's putting in, I might not go this time. If I know <laughs> put in. It feels like there's only so much to go around and, and that's that's a bugger because it would be nice to think everyone could yeah. get all of the things they need and it wouldn't matter. And I think that's why Wollongong, more locally, it's kind of great. I feel like there's more work to be done here in Wollongong than in Sydney, you know, and I think it's quite exciting in the Illawarra and it feels like there's a lot of open minds. I mean, people, there is a bit of money to be had around. I think you've just got to meet them, a la my massive flash mob, and then just find the way to talk to the community. I think you've just got to sort of talk to them, don't we? Yeah, yeah. it's like it's it's, it's having conversations in where you are and really like continuing to, which I, I strongly believe. Yeah. Uh, with the way that we've all been talking is happening. It really is. Yeah, I'm sure it is. I mean, dancers are very smart people. You have to be. <laughs> yeah, we, we've got to get that dance course uh, up and running again in, in New South Wales. With um, Well, I've got a two-by-two-metre two space here in my backyard, so we can start something there easy, something <laughs> on the spot, you know, on the there's, Room, it's overrated. We could all, we could also pivot it to AC Arts in Adelaide. You know, no, nah, I can't. It's too far to travel for us. I only want to travel twenty minutes. <laughs> I think this was a great conversation to be a part of, and there's something about hearing the different perspectives of dance all over the country at different levels with different goals in debate with each other, but also agreeing about the end goal. The conversation in the arts right now, at least for me, does seem to be changing drastically from how my art can take over the world to how my art can be relevant to how can my art reach people I know, let alone how can my art help me survive. So maybe the next step of this podcast is to start looking at these suggestions from Sean M. Rita, Emma and Michelle for different art forms, practical steps for artists at various levels, aiming big but acting local. Like, what tangibly can an artist or a company do? That seems like a really important conversation to have. That was Creative Dialogues. I'll put links in the show notes to all the work discussed from each artist, documentation of Emma's flash mobs, for instance, and Amrita's coming work and A Call to Dance, Sean Parker and Company's online presence, and updates on Austin Mere Dance Theatre. 
Huge thanks to Janine Primer and Annie Clapton at Wollongong City Council for putting this all together and being another set of ears on this. Creative Dialogue is hosted and edited by me, Tom Hogan, and I'm still not sick of this theme song. Thanks so much for listening. Good work, everyone. I mean, that was actually quite beautiful. I felt like it got like there was a nice little um, roller coaster of emotion and um, character arcs in there as well. Um, Thanks, Tom. Yeah, well, you're welcome. I did did literally nothing. I just, I literally created the link, and it's like you did it all for me. It's beautiful. I'm not going to edit a single thing. I well, thought you were going to pull out some popcorn at one stage there and just start yeah, watching. Yeah, yeah, just like <laughs> sit back and watch this happen. Oh, I'm just enjoying talking about dance instead of um, where dinosaurs come from. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is that what you're up to now in home homeschooling? Well, at least they're back at school now. But I've yeah. got out of pickups here, so. so. Now you're just reading about dinosaurs in your own time. So forth. So, yeah. Yeah, cool. I'm over dance. <laughs> No, Um, I'm not. I'm not. No, no, of course.